0: So the beautiful thing that we can see coming together and that you can experience joining us on these live streams is we're trying to connect so much together. And when you join us on Saturdays for the live talk, we take you back to seminary. Then you can see it living in the gospel when you join us for the mass. Last Saturday, I did a talk on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in one of the slides, I showed the three mountains. You had Noah and mountains of Ararat. You had Moses on Mount Sinai, and Jesus on Mount Zion or Jerusalem. Now, what's going on here? The symbolism of a mountain top and down below are very important in the Bible. What happened with Moses? God was on top of the mountain. Moses met God at the summit of Sinai. And there God gave the instruction to man to be taken down as a guide to live on earth. Now what's going on? The people down below go up a mountain for instruction how to live in heaven. So you get that? So in Moses, we have Moses coming down the mountain to tell us how to live on earth. And now we have the people coming up the mountain because Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount, going up the mountain to give instruction on how to live in heaven. So we're progressing. Now let's talk about what Jesus' message is. All right this is important. The eight Beatitudes, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. It is not one sermon actually, but it's actually a summary of all Jesus's sermons. That's what makes this so great. Jesus sat. That was symbolic too. Why? Because when a Jewish rabbi sat, it means he was officially teaching. And do you know we keep that tradition in the Catholic Church? I got an email yesterday or a comment online saying, this proves the falsity of the Catholic Church because you guys follow Judaism. I made the comment in my Ark of the Covenant talk that the Church is in some ways like the Old Temple, but we don't do animal sacrifices in the Church and we don't continue to do a sacrifice every day at Mass. We're back at Calvary for the one and only sacrifice. So I'm glad people are writing in on this, but I guess I'm just not doing a good enough job explaining it when I do explain it. But the church has kept this tradition because when a Jewish rabbi sat, it means listen here, I'm about to proclaim something official. I'm about to give you some important teaching. Now, we still have that in the Catholic church. When the pope speaks ex cathedra it's the only time when he speaks infallibly is when it's regarding faith and morals not saying some sport team's going to win the world series or something but when he speaks on faith and morals in union with the college of bishops and he states it ex cathedra meaning from the chair so we keep that tradition when the pope sits Traditions are people think that the Catholic Church were crazy because whatever the Pope says you think is infallible. No, no, no. Arguably, there's different times in the Middle Ages the, spoke, the Pope spoke ex cathedra, but that's debatable. There's only really two times definitively we know this Pope spoke ex cathedra. And they were both with the Virgin Mary, the Assumption of Mary, and the Immaculate Conception. That is it in the 1800s and the mid-1900s. Mid-1800s, mid-1900s, two times. So no, not everything that the Pope says, do we believe is infallible? No, you have to know church teaching. So from the seat, meaning an official teaching is given. So now Jesus does that. He sits and the heart of his message is that we can live a very happy life both in this world following the 10 commandments that was given by Moses taken down and now by going up the mountain to learn how to live in heaven the word be attitude actually means happiness or blessedness in fact Jesus giving the believers his what to instruct us in be how your be the being of your attitude be attitude this is the B attitudes. how your attitude should be. Happy. Blessed. But they are a sign, this is very important, of contradiction to the world's understanding of happiness and joy. The world will tell you happiness, joy, is sex, money, and power. You've heard me say that's why we in religious life take the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. They overcome those three gods of the world. The world will tell you sex, money, and power is how you find happiness. Jesus is not saying that. That's why Thomas Aquinas said, no one can live without joy. That is why a person deprived of spiritual joy goes after fleshly, carnal pleasure. Wow. All right. So let's get in real quick. Each of these eight, we'll try to summarize these real quick. They're powerful stuff. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Poor in spirit. All right. The humble or the helpless man who has no earthly resources has nothing to do but trust God. All right. Ironically, a lot of times it's souls with less money that actually often support the church more like the little widow with the two coins, right? We are poor in two ways. We can either be poor materially, and if we are, we trust in God to supply for us. Or we can be, in a way, the need to detach from those material things. And when God is calling us to be detached, we become poor because we don't have anything. Now it works the same spiritually. Spiritually means, I can't get to heaven on my own. I need the grace of God. I'm not gonna work my way in there. Works of love are required only because they cooperate with God's grace in the first place. Works by themselves is not gonna get you to heaven. Grace by itself is not gonna get you to heaven. Grace starts the process, but you gotta cooperate with it. That's Catholic Church teaching. We need both. So if you have nothing, we must trust God Either materially or we recognize our emptiness. Only when you empty yourself out, I can't do this, Lord, can God fill you. It's like the wedding feast at Cana. That was the whole meaning of the emptying of the jars. Empty yourself. Think of yourself like a jar at Cana. Empty yourself like the jar at Cana and then Christ will fill it. That's what pour in spirit means. I have no wine. I'm empty. I'm out. Christ, come fill me. All right? It is that trust, there's that trust that leads to obedience. And that trust lives us to heaven. So we want to be poor in spirit. All right, next, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Does this mean God wants us to suffer? No. In God's ordained will, you've heard me say he doesn't want us to suffer. In his permissive will, he allows it. He wants to bring greater good out of it, like an understanding of sharing in his cross. But blessed is the man who is desperately sorry for his sins. That's what it means by those who mourn. When we say blessed are those who mourn, we meant those who repent and are sorry for their sins. Sorry for their transgressions against God. Jesus' very first message, or I should say even before that, John the Baptist. What was John the Baptist's message? Repent. So this is important. No man can repent unless he is sorry. So blessed are those who mourn not that you're suffering but that you're sorry christianity begins here we have to be sorry and recognize our sin remember paul the uh, pious 12 said the greatest sin of the 20th century is the loss of the sense of sin i don't have any sin i've had that in the confessional god bless the people coming i am so pleased But I've had some come, Father. I've been to confession in 20 years, but I really can't think of any sins. I always say, Well, if you're okay, let me help you. (laughs) And I walk them through the Ten Commandments and the seven deadly sins. And almost every one of those Ten Commandments and every one of those seven deadly sins, the person says, Oh, yeah, I guess I've done that. (laughs) Or I guess I haven't done that. Praise be to God for the enlightenment that we can be sorry. So that's why we mourn. All right, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. The meek is not weak. Jesus was meek, Jesus was not weak. All right, the main idea behind the word meek is strength under control. Jesus was meek because he had strength, but he kept it under control. Not weak, it is never right To be angry for an insult or an injury done to ourselves, that's one of the hardest things of human nature. Man, that's where our human nature is tested. We all want to strike back. That's, I got a million faults, but that's right at the top of mine too. And so it is often though right to be angry at the injuries done to other people. Like Jesus was angry at the money changers because they were swindling the people selfish anger is a sin selfless anger can be holy anger i'm upset at the injustice that is going on right now to our children in the schools the indoctrination and the lies that they are being taught that's justifiable anger all right this can be justified next blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. What does that mean? <clears throat> Even if a man never attains goodness, if he longs for it, he can be blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Notice it didn't say that they've attained it perfectly. This gives me hope. Because although I'm far from attaining it perfectly, I hunger for it. I desire it. So those Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. So basically, even if you don't attain perfect goodness, if you long for it, you can still be blessed. David, in the Old Testament, always wished he could build the temple for God. He desired it. But because of his sin and other reasons, he was not allowed to achieve that. It was denied him. But did God curse him? No. What did God say to David? This is from 1 Kings. He said, you did well that it was in your heart that you desired it. Wow. Wow. So that's why the heart is so important because just like sinning can be done in the heart, Jesus says, amen, I tell you that you don't commit adultery just now physically, but in your heart, if you do, and you're like, oh man, that's not fair. But he does it in the same way for the good. Even if you can't achieve the good and build a temple for God, if you desire it in your heart, he's giving you that credit. God's fair. All right. Saints are simply sinners who keep on trying. That gives me hope. All right, a couple more, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Oh man, I, what do I say on that one? That one goes back to hundreds of homilies and talks online that you can find. I guess all I'll say on this is book of James, my favorite book in the Bible, so Catholic. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. That's James 2:13. It's more than pity It's basically sympathizing so much with someone that you feel their pain. Like a parent when the child is sick. Mercy is not just a matter of giving alms to the poor, but it's loving them and living with them and taking them into your heart. It's loving the unlovable, forgiving the unforgivable. All right. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Or the clean of heart, it says. We must have purity of intention. This is the other biggest human weakness. Even prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, when we do it, objectively it's good. But if you're fasting and you, you're hoping you're going to lose weight. If you're praying, but you're praying it to be your will be done, not God's will be done. If you give alms because you hope you'll be recognized, you're not giving out of purity of intention. We have to realize that what we do always has to be for the glory of God and not ourselves. It's a big pitfall. All right. So we have to have purity of intention when we do anything. If we do good, we may not be free from the feeling that men will praise and admire us. And that is trouble. It's always for the glory of God. Jesus went on to say that only the pure in heart will see God. That's scary. Only the pure of heart will see God. That means humility. Remember, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. All right, two more. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peace is not just an absence of war. Peace is not the passive... acceptance of something unjust just so you avoid a fight no peace comes from facing issues dealing with them conquering them but always in love you know admonish the sinner is a work of mercy but what it should say is admonish the sinner with love not self-righteousness so this is important It is the active facing of things and the making of peace through facing them. I think of World War II. I think of World War II. They weren't afraid. They faced them. And you know, yesterday, oh my goodness, I got home yesterday. Yesterday was the anniversary of D-Day. 10,000 allied casualties. 4,500 confirmed dead. Those are the bravest men ever the greatest generation and i apologize to any veterans out there i i i was so wrapped up as rightfully i should have been in the body and blood of christ but it all related but praise be to god for those who gave the ultimate sacrifice the ultimate act of love of laying down their life for another especially those men at d-day you ever seen the beginning of saving private ryan you get even just the slightest glimpse of what those guys were going through as they were ready to hit that beachhead, they pretty much knew the very first waves of guys, they were all gonna die. I can't even imagine what those guys must have been thinking. What an act of heroic virtue, courage, and love, so that we could be here today and worship. Let us remember those men who died yesterday was the anniversary of D-Day. So, United States didn't run. They faced evil. They faced it, but they made peace. That's what it is blessed are the peacemakers. Not to run away, face the challenge, but end it with love and peace. Finally, blessed are those persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is that? Christianity, came not to send peace. Jesus says, I came to bring the sword, right? I came to divide, not bring peace. That's always strange. Jesus said, unless you hate your mother and your father, you cannot be my disciple. I actually had people who wrote to me and said, Father, that's the reason I am not Christian. I cannot hate my mother and father. And Jesus has commanded me to do that. No, no. The word hate, this is why we have to learn our faith. The word hate that it is used in the scriptures does not mean to despise. It means to love less. So what Jesus is saying is you have to love me first then your family, your husband, your spouse, then your children. If we understand what our faith teaches, as Fulton Sheen said, millions of people hate what they think is the Catholic Church. Very few hate what is actually the Catholic Church. He said very few, if none, hate what is actually the Catholic Church. You really learn what the Catholic Church is, you don't hate it. Yeah, there were some mistakes in the uh, the thing, but that's not the teaching of the church. Those are some Judases that got in her ranks. That's a whole other topic for another time. All right, today we enjoy the blessing of liberty because men who died, like I just said at D-Day, the righteousness, right? Pray for persecuted Christians. They are the most persecuted group in the world you don't hear about it in the news heaven forbid that a worship center of some other religion has a rock thrown at it makes worldwide news but 100,000 Christians annually who are die who die murdered killed for the belief in Jesus Christ we really don't hear about it blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. Kind of like the holy Innocents. So today let's pray for persecuted Christians all around the world. Churches being burned, Christians being beheaded, being persecuted by the tens of thousands. Annually over 100,000 die every year. We don't hear about it. Let's pray for them because you're hearing about it here, and the need for us to stand up and to be able to defend our faith, but always in love. And we pray for those who are persecuted because the kingdom of heaven will be theirs.
1: Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses